0: I really thought it was as simple as, this is how much the goods cost make, and then you just add on some random value for your profit margin, $10, $20, whatever. You want to keep your margins
1: in e-commerce between 70 to 80% because Shopify takes margin, there's the credit card processing, then there's shipping
2: fees. We always have customers that will say, well, XYZ company is offering free shipping. If they're offering you free shipping, you're paying too much for the product. There is no such thing as free shipping.
3: Hello, everybody. I'm Kelly Martin, and you're listening to Making It Work, made possible by FedEx. Nothing gets us more excited than hearing about the real-life experiences of real-life entrepreneurs, and that's exactly why we created this podcast. After chewing the fat with retail expert Jason Goldberg in the last episode, we're resuming our regular service and getting back to basics. This time around, we're talking to four of the entrepreneurs about a very tricky topic, how to price your goods. So what should you be charging to guarantee a profit? And why is free shipping not free? Asking the questions is Tom Scallon.
4: When it comes to business, making a profit is pretty important. One and a half seasons and a three-part special in. I've learned that much at least. But making a profit is harder than it sounds. You might think if you make something for one dollar and sell it for five, then you'll be top of the Forbes world's billionaires list in no time. But when you factor in taxes, customs fees, manufacturing, marketing, packaging, staffing, rent, plus anything else I forgot, that profit can quickly go from a slice to a sliver. Then there's the free shipping, which it turns out isn't free at all. But we'll discuss that bombshell in part two. Let's kick off this part with Kat Samagia, founder of Locker Lifestyle. Kat started the business out of her college dorm when she saw a gap in the market for a place to store your valuables when you're working out. She made her very first wrist wallet in 2016, and the rest is history. I started by asking her what margin entrepreneurs should be aiming for on their products. Her answer? Well, refreshingly straightforward.
1: One of my mentors, actually a few of my mentors who are in the e-commerce world, said that you want to keep your margins in e-commerce between 70 to 80% because, you know, Shopify takes margin and then there's the credit card processing or PayPal. So whatever you do, payments through takes a percent. Then there's shipping fees. There's the cost of, even though it's pennies, like my mom would always say, count your pennies. There's the cost of a label, the insert thank you card, the polymailer and the time to pick, pack and ship for an item. So there's so much that goes into it. So it's not only the cost of product, but those other elements that you have to factor in. So giving yourself a 70 to 80% buffer based on the what the product costs you helps with that. And then also there's you know the cost of advertising. What's the cost to acquire a customer? And so typically around the 70, 80%, it, it gives you a, some solid wiggle room. And then in wholesale... Typically wholesalers expect uh, 55% margins.
4: That 70 to 80% margin you were talking about, that's after the product is manufactured and it arrives at your door.
1: Exactly, yes. If some people are like, oh my gosh, my competitor's selling it for this price and you kind of want to work around it, you can always work backwards. But I typically start with, okay, it's this is a landed cost, whether you have tariffs or are there shipping costs or fabric costs and things like that, then build. That's 70 to 80% margin on top of that.
4: And is there a chance as your operation becomes bigger, you have an, an economy of scale that that can come down?
1: So even with within Shopify, if you do a certain level of shipping and perform at a certain amount, you can get even negotiate even better shipping deals than you know having the most basic plan. So and then also with your product, for example, there's a price difference. If I'm ordering one thousand units of product versus even three thousand units of product, like again, counting your pennies and, and all of that per unit, that adds up. Like, so for example, for us, even though the difference in our medium sized wrist wallet to our large wrist wallet is it's not much, it's like a quarter of an inch. There's a four cent difference in that. And we need to make sure that we're accounting for that in terms of whether it's retail or wholesale pricing.
4: Your products are manufactured in China, right? Correct. What was the difference in size between your first order and, and the quantities you're ordering now?
1: So at first I was making them out of my momager's bridal store, but then unfortunately she lost that store in January of 2017. So we were back to zero. And until I won my first pitch competition, did I have the validation and the funding to be able to manufacture at scale. So I was able to ha- get a local mentor to help me Ask for a first run, and I think um, it's typical that a thousand units per skew for for certain products in a run. So I believe we did two thousand units in our first run. And to me, oh my gosh, that was the scariest thing of all. This product is going to come in. How long is it going to take me to sell through it? You know, how am I supposed to price it? How much is the shipping? And then I had to pay for quality control and air freight and all that. So there's a lot of other elements that are involved with that as well that you have to factor in. Like your cost of product isn't just what the manufacturing is telling you it's if you are doing international or local there's different shipping fees there's customs there there's all those things as well that you have to take into consideration as your cost per unit
4: What were the biggest shocks along the roads in in terms of unexpected costs
1: Unexpected costs really for me started with shipping like my manufacturer would say oh, okay this product costs you The you know, this many dollars. And i might think, oh, that's awesome. But then I got the shipping bill or was, you know, because, oh, at the time it shipped differently or the weight was actually off by three kilograms. It cost me this much more. And that was an absolute shock. And also legal fees for getting a trademark or a patent. It is tens of thousands of dollars to go through any sort of legal process. Or let's say I do give a patent and if I would want to pursue someone trying to make the same thing when I actually have the rights to it, it is so extremely expensive to do that, that people are highly ester- underestimating that. So those were the legal and actual shipping charges were the biggest shocks to me for sure.
4: Interviewing quite a lot of entrepreneurs, I know that that order of a thousand, your first order is is not a big order. Did you struggle to find someone to manufacture it?
1: I did. That was, it took me over a year To really find a manufacturer that I could trust and going back and forth with sampling, like sampling lead times alone, to make one sample and approve it or not, or make edits, each one would take between two to four weeks. So it took me months and months and months to find real manufacturing. But thankfully, to a couple of my mentors, they vetted me to the manufacturers who, you know, they do 50,000 units, you know, every three weeks with them. I'm not doing that kind of business, but by saying, you know, oh, by them having that You know, paying them on time and having this legitimate business, and they've been working with them a while, they said, you know what, she's eventually going to get to this point. You're going to want to work with her. That's how that trust started because honestly, I couldn't really have convinced them myself at first to be able to prove that.
4: You said that through Shopify, you can negotiate better shipping deals. Has that brought your costs down?
1: I am only using just the basic level right now because I mix parts of my business like my primary business isn't just on lockerlifestyle.com but then once I'm doing more and more volume is once you pay, you know, a premium for a more mo- like a higher monthly subscription, they automatically will give you lower shipping rates that they've negotiated with the carriers.
4: In fact, I heard from an entrepreneur yesterday that Chinese tariffs had a huge cost for her.
1: That's a huge thing for us. And it's unfortunate that we pay a 25% tariff and a 7% duty, or it could be the other way around. But whatever it is on top of you know the value of the product coming in. So it's I pay thousands in those fees. But on top of the thousands in those fees, it is still more affordable and I get better quality product doing it overseas versus manufacturing in the US, which is so unfortunate because I've talked with so many U.S. textile manufacturers, and at the end of the day, they're still sourcing the same exact fabrics and zippers and things like that from China anyways. So it was even longer lead times and way more expensive to produce, and longer than doing it overseas.
4: The hidden fees that gave Cat shock to the system seem to have caught out all of the entrepreneurs I spoke to who manufactured their goods abroad. As we'll learn a little later, these prices also fluctuate. Which can turn unforeseen costs into a lethal blow for small businesses. For now, let's go to Chicago and speak to Myra Hernandez, who started Back of the Arts Coffee Company with her business partner Jesse Iniguez in 2016. As the co owner of a coffee house and roastery, Myra doesn't need to know anything about Chinese customs duties, but that doesn't make pricing her drinks easy. Since Back of the arts Coffee Company sells a quality product, it was important to differentiate themselves from the lower priced chain competition, just as long as they didn't price out their own community.
5: You know, initially when Jesse and myself were trying to price out our products for the coffee house, I always thought that we were charging too much. <laughs> I kept thinking about The community, right? I didn't want to price out the community. And, you know, also coming from the same demographic, I mean, we, Jesse and myself, we are, we represent the people that we service. I felt like, well, I don't want to spend that much and I think it's too pricey. And for some reason, I always wanted to go really cheap. But then I realized after doing a lot of research, we realized that the Latinx population was spending more money on coffee than any other ethnic group. So I had this this wrong idea of how much people were spending on coffee. And we realized that people were leaving the neighborhood. They were driving out of back of the yards to go to other neighborhoods that were further away to go buy a more expensive cup of coffee. And they were also spending more time and money on transportation. So we realized that we, we did actually have the ability to price our items a little bit higher So we wanted it to be a little bit pricier than like your fast food companies or restaurants, but also come in just under some of like the higher price specialty coffee houses that you would find like downtown. And also, while I always think, again, everything is too expensive, (laughs) you know, Jesse reminded me of the importance of investing in ourselves and investing in our dreams. So one of those things was packaging. Since we do use all compostable items, the pricing for that is, is a little bit higher. You know, our cups are compostable, our, our straws, our utensils. And I thought, well, in the beginning, as we're starting, why not just go with the cheaper route? A lot of restaurants on our blog are still using styrofoam cups, and it's way cheaper. Why can't we do that? But really, by using like compostable packaging, even though it felt like we were paying more, I I suddenly realized that we weren't paying more because it was a great marketing tool. People were excited to hear that we were using compostable packaging.
4: How much does a cup of coffee go for at your place?
5: So our coffee ranges from $220 up until four dollars, you know, if you're adding shot of espresso and you're adding syrups but we do offer a 99 cent cup of coffee for somebody that wants to try it that hasn't had our coffee before so we try to include an item that is accessible to everybody
4: do you ever have people coming in looking at your prices and saying screw that i'll go to dunkin donuts
5: <laughs> no I, I think there might have been the one person that that actually said that i'll just go to dunkin donuts <laughs> but I, that was again. That was a perfect opportunity for me to jump in and be like, "Hey, well, yes, you could do that, but let me tell you more about what we do here." And and then uh, after they hear my speech, <laughs> um, then they're excited to spend their money here.
4: Two twenty to four dollars seems pretty reasonable to me. Do you sometimes think we could be making so much more money in a more affluent neighborhood in Chicago? Uh. I appreciate the honesty.
5: (laughs) Yeah, I can't help it. I don't know how to lie. (laughs) Um, Well, the thing is, I know that we can go to another neighborhood and charge, you know, double the price. But that is not, I guess it doesn't align with my values, doesn't align with our vision. And there are people that come from more affluent neighborhoods that know why we're there, that know our story. And they'll come and, just I mean, they'll spend a lot of money. (laughs) They'll spend a lot of money because, again, they want to support. So they're coming to us, I think, to to want to contribute and, and be part of the social impact that we're trying to create.
4: Part of what Back of the Yards Coffee Company is about, of course, is that you were serving good quality coffee in a neighborhood that didn't have it. So was it difficult with no frame of reference with no other places like yours to work out how much to charge your customers?
5: Yes, it was difficult for me at first to figure out what to price a coffee at. Because from what I understood that at the time was that people were just going to fast food chain, uh, restaurants to get very cheap coffee. And so I thought, we need to be just as cheap so that they'll come to us instead. That was my mentality back then. Even though I knew we had a good product, there was that fear of like, well, maybe we should be charging more, but who's going to want to spend that much in a cup of coffee? Again, that was my own uneducated image of what I thought people in my own neighborhood were willing to pay for for a cup of coffee. But it did take a lot of research and understanding of where our demographics spend their money to realize that people are willing to spend more because they're leaving, they're driving out of the community to spend more on on coffee beverages. But it did take some time for me to accept and to learn that that it's okay to, to price our items higher. I think that My mentality of wanting to have everything very cheap and priced very low also comes from my own experience from growing up poor and having parents who have to work on a very, very tight budget.
4: So inflation exists, right? So you're going to have to put your prices up at some point. How do you manage that? Is it about absorbing costs to a point where you're just pushed into raising prices?
5: I do think that we have to raise our prices with inflation, at least until we are able to have uh, more access to working capital, right? And, you know, we have raised our prices on a couple of items in the past, and people have been pretty understanding because we're not the only ones doing it. And so that's where I reach out to other people for for their expertise. And that includes reaching out to the community as well and Seeing what their response would be to raising
4: prices. How long did it take for the hipsters of Chicago to work out that you had the best value coffee in town?
5: How long did, did that take? Um, <laughs> so let's see. So we opened up in May of 2017. And in 2018, we received Time Out Love Award. So we were Time Out Chicago's most loved coffee house. So there you go, a year, less than a year. <laughs> <laughs>
3: you're listening to making it work
0: coming up i realized people want free shipping so i changed it to 99 plus free shipping and wouldn't you know that 99 plus free shipping sold way better then $79.99 plus $787. It makes no sense, right? We always have
2: customers that will say, well, XYZ company is offering free shipping. If they're offering you free shipping, you're paying too much for the product. You know, it's just, it's such a myth that there's no such thing as free shipping.
4: I think, Casey, I'm gonna rename this podcast Free Shipping Isn't Free.
3: <laughs> it's not because
4: it's been repeated again and again. Even though making it work is...
3: Made possible by FedEx. Thanks,
4: Kelly. We never intended to create an episode about shipping. Not in this season, anyway. But it kept coming up so much, it became impossible to ignore. And not just in terms of how much it costs to ship goods from China, India, Turkey, or wherever they're manufactured, but getting that finished product to the customer's front door. I'll be honest, I always took free shipping for granted. If I order a new pair of sneakers online, I kind of expect the price to include shipping. And usually it does, but it's only free for me. Someone who learned this the hard way is Dahlia Rizek, mompreneur and founder of Buckle Me Baby Coats, a New Hampshire-based business that designs and sells crash-tested baby coats that can be used in a car seat safely. When she started her company in 2017, she was determined to display a transparent shipping price on her website, but soon learned that her customers preferred an all-in price, with shipping included, even... If they ended up paying more.
0: When I first started making coats, I really thought it was as simple as this is how much the goods cost to make, and then you just add on, you know, some random value for your profit margin—ten dollars, twenty dollars, whatever. But it's much more complicated than that because you have to—you have to think of longevity. You have to think of not only what is the cost of my goods, but what is the cost of reordering inventory, and what is the cost of taking on debt. In order to reorder inventory if you can't keep up with demand and what is the cost of advertising which is expensive especially on social media and becoming more expensive as the space gets saturated what's the cost of customer retention and tariffs which change every day with this current political climate that we're in what's the cost of shipping i have a shipment of coats coming in right now and i had thought that it was going to cost me about six to $8,000, because that's how much it normally costs. But it turns out that my shipment is coming in at the same time as the Apple release, which I hadn't thought of or considered. So now it's costing me $44,000 to ship it into the US instead of $6,000. You really can't, I think, as a new business, accurately set a ver- a reasonable cost of goods the first year until you've had at least a year's worth of data to do it by. But if I'm giving recommendations to entrepreneurs, my recommendation will always be to set your cost of goods higher and you can always reduce it as you move along so that you have a reasonable margin, a reasonable profit, and you're offering it a reasonable cost to people. But then you are staying afloat and you can keep going. But when you set it really linearly, this is my cost, I'm gonna take $10 or $20, and that's my profit, and then you find out that you're in the negative because there were many more costs that you didn't consider. It's hard to justify to your audience the price increased, but you can always justify a discount.
4: I guess that advice is based on the experience you had in your first year when you were selling products at a loss.
0: Absolutely. It was a loss. It was a loss and people were angry both at the same time. It was wonderful. <laughs> I, was, I was losing money and they were mad.
4: How did it come about that you were selling products at a loss?
0: Well, one of the things that happened was that I didn't consider all the different things that go into pricing my product, but also I was making them here in the U.S. and the cost of making them in the U.S. was exorbitant. It was costing me $60 just to cut cut and sew the coats without the fabric, without the buttons. Like I was purchasing all those things separately without the shipping. People like free shipping, you know. So I was selling the coats that first year for $99 and it was costing me 60 just to cut and sew them. So there's no, when everything was said and done, each coat was costing me an additional $20 out of pocket. So I had a pricing problem and I had a cost problem. So one of the ways I solved that was moving it overseas. So it reduced the cost tremendously, but still not enough. Just moving overseas would have made it break even. But the second thing I did was I created different price points. So that way, People have a choice in range. So I came up with three lines of coats instead of one line of coats. So there's three price points, which gave me a lot more flexibility in profit margin and also in costs of goods. So it just made a, for a much better model.
4: So to those uninitiated about prices of shipping, how is it possible that you thought shipping was going to be one price and then it, it was way more?
0: You have to build into your price uncertainty. I think that's the most important takeaway that I got from year one and year two. You can do all your due diligence and you could think you know exactly what your costs are going to be and you might be wrong. I had another example of that um, that happened to me. Uh, I can't remember if it was last year or the year before, but anyway, I had I had my first fall shipment coming in air. Um, sorry, C. This shipment was a C shipment. Sea shipment from China to the U.S. takes about 35 days. And what happened was that the tariff was changed as my shipment was already on the ocean. So I think it was already 10 days en route. And it changed from a 7% to a 22% tariff, which is a gigantic difference in price. Um, And of course, for me, it's even more problematic because I don't sell coats in the summer. I only sell in the fall but the coats are coming in in August. So it's coming in during a time where I'm kind of cash poor. right? And so it wasn't uh, money that I had really set aside, not expecting it, Um, but it was really early in my process. I wasn't really familiar with the concept of just setting money aside for the unexpected. I thought as long as I could cover my cost of coats, plus what I think the tariff's going to be, I should be good to go and I'm ready to sell in September. I ended up having to borrow money in order to cover that extra tariff fee. But the learning experience from it was to never assume that you fully know your cost of goods. Always expect it to be more and always have a bumper. You know, don't ever set your margins so thin that you can't keep going.
4: What happened in that situation where Apple were launching a product?
0: Oh, I didn't. That was a a big blow. Uh, Apple is launching their whole 12 line. And apparently, they've taken up every nook and cranny of every single flight on the way to the U.S. from here to Timbuktu. So uh, what normally would be a $6,000 flight ended up being a 44000 flight. But it is what it is. I, I'm going to have to pay it.
4: We're not talking about a modest increase here. That's huge.
0: I know. I know. It really, when the email came through, it hurt my heart and it still hurts my heart and when I when I write that check it's gonna hurt my hand too but I like I said you just have to make sure you work those unexpected costs into your equation and make sure you're prepared for them because they come up and you don't want them to come up and put you under I've heard of entrepreneurs where they're in the situation where they can't pay for something because they had an unexpected cost and they end up leaving all that product in China which by itself is totally bad but what's even worse is at some point, somebody picks up that unclaimed thing and floods the marketplace with your product. And now you're out of the picture and you're out of business, you know, and so those are things you never want.
4: And I suppose when it comes to those freak things and pricing your goods, you just absorb the cost for a while. But in the end, the the consumer pays, right?
0: I think that the consumer is going to pay because, you know, you have it built into your costs. You know the the A good example is the whole concept of free shipping, right? Um, When I first started my very first year, I was like, I'm going to be so transparent. And I'm going to set shipping across most of the country in the U.S. is about $7.87. I'm going to set my cost of shipping at $7.87. And I'm going to set my cost of goods at what it costs me to make it, plus a little markup. And it's going to be fair and equitable to everybody. And let me tell you, I had no sales. And so I, I realized people want free shipping. And that's what the biggest barrier to sales was at the time. So I wanted to bundle the 787 into my price. This is year one when I was losing money. And so I had it, I think I had it at 79.99, And I was going to add in 787. And it came out to a really goofy number that looked just wrong. So I changed it to 99 plus free shipping. And wouldn't you know that 99 plus free shipping sold way better than 79.99 plus 787. It makes no sense, right? From a very financial point of view for the customer, but from the way that customers think, it does make sense. And so, you know, if you want to continue to offer a product, you have to think of all your costs and you have to bundle your costs into what you're selling them. And the way you need to think about it isn't the consumer is paying. The way you need to think about it, at least for a product like mine, is do I want to continue to help as many parents as possible with easy winter car seat safety? Or do I want to have a quick and and spectacular run that ends in a fiery, fiery blast and then I'm not helping anybody, but the price looked better? So I'm focused on the long game.
4: Was it with a bit of a heavy heart then that you switched manufacturing over to China?
0: Oh, for sure. You know, and, and it's really interesting because I do get lambasted in it on about it once in a while in the comments. <clears throat> but I don't think that the people that are commenting are commenting it from the same angle in which my intention was for Made in the US. Made in the US has kind of gotten a little bit of a powder keg connotation at this point. Um, but so, so lots of times they'll be like, oh, you went overseas, you're a sellout. And I'm like, well, you know, it's a lot more to any story. Nothing is ever linear. If you're interested in a genuine way, I'm happy to talk about it with you. If you just want to be angry, that's okay. You don't have to buy this coat. I totally understand.
4: If you listen to my chat with retail consultant Jason Goldberg a couple of shows back, you might remember him feeling pretty strongly about the importance of providing free shipping. Here's what he had to say. There's an overwhelming amount of evidence that Customers
3: want fast, free shipping, and they're not very interested in paying the, what they consider taxes on things like delivery. And so it's absolutely
0: true that when you offer free shipping to a customer, you sell much
4: more. Pretty clear. But some entrepreneurs are yet to be convinced. Casey Kelly is co-founder of Blended Designs, a Florida-based company that designs and sells bags that show children of color. Casey doesn't offer free shipping on her products because, as she argues, she's already competing with stores selling bags at a lower price point. Add an extra $8 to her already premium price, and it would be a deal breaker for potential customers. Don't tell Jason. I started our chat by asking her how much she was selling her bags for when she started out.
2: So when we first launched, we had them at $27.95. And, um... That's what the price was when they were viral. We, so we did not change the price then. We changed it after we worked with the VC and we made changes to the bag. So we got feedback from our customers with you know widening the bag a little bit, you know making it a little bit taller, you know adding a couple features, and so then we changed the price.
4: How did you land on that twenty seven ninety five price tag? <laughs>
2: So it was how much would I spend for a backpack for my kid? That was a lot of it. Um, You know, again, because my background has been in consumer products, I looked at backpacks that were similar to ours. So there's a a major backpack manufacturer, they don't do character bags, um, but they have backpacks that go up to $300. They're probably the most popular backpack. Company because of their basic backpack. Their basic backpack is anywhere from $27 to $40. That's their average backpack. But what I found is that most character backpacks, backpacks that have cartoons on them and things like that, are usually like in the $15 range, but they don't have the same level of quality. You know, we did like a bunch of quality assurance. We did competitive analysis. Like, we ordered a whole bunch of different backpacks that were characters. And one of the things that we looked at is like w- the similarity that we had was really with the backpack that major brand. And because we had almost identical specs to them without even trying it, was just what I looked for in a bag. And so that was part of the cost analysis and helping us understand the pricing. So, you know, I'm looking at our backpack, quality backpack can stand up when it's empty. If it's falling down and it's, you know, it's, it's really flimsy. We have had customers that have said their backpacks have last two years We don't like that because we want you to buy a backpack every year, but it speaks to our quality. And so I was looking at those kind of things as well as what our margin was going to be. And I don't remember what our margin was when we were at 27. Um, I think it was really kind of based on, I didn't want it to be too much because I was thinking about who our customer was. And I don't know that I was thinking long-term about us being profitable.
4: So you worked backwards in a way. You thought yeah. $27.95 is what I would pay for a backpack. Then you what worked on trying to get the manufacturing costs down as much as possible so you would would get a set margin.
2: Well, you know, and also what what we had to do, we have the exact same manufacturer that we had from day one. I found her on Alibaba, Like we've built an amazing relationship and I've never switched manufacturers. But when I was looking at how much it cost, their price is their price. And then their price was, you know, we're adding different features, which of course is raising our price up. But then on top of that, it was they charge by by skew. So I don't get quantity breaks. For buying 14,000 backpacks, I get quantity breaks if I buy 100 of this particular SKU, 200 of this particular SKU, which became a nightmare. We're trying to meet the demand of these customers, but we lost so much profit. We would turn around and give them free shipping, which further, you know, somebody, there's no such thing as free shipping because somebody has to pay for it. You know, I still had to pay for that shipping.
4: I think, Casey, I'm going to rename this podcast Free Shipping Isn't Free.
2: <laughs> it's not. <laughs>
4: because it's, it's been repeated again and again. Could you just give me a little insight into how free shipping, in inverted commas, has its place in your pricing?
2: So I always tell people when people ask us... Um, yeah, you know, we always have customers that will say, "Well, XYZ company is offering free shipping. If they're offering you free shipping, you're paying too much for the product because somehow or another, they're getting that money." And you know, it's just it's such a myth <laughs> that there's no such thing as free shipping.
4: One entrepreneur told me that they sell more products if they just add the shipping cost into the price and and offer free shipping. Have you tried that before?
2: Well, We cannot because, so if, so we have a a $40 backpack, if we raise that to $48, we're still competing with a $15, $20 backpack, even though the quality is different, even though the message is different. You know, we always tell people, people aren't buying our backpacks for kids to wear to school. They're buying our backpacks for kids to be empowered in school, which is totally different, but it's still, I have to convince this customer that it's worth spending $40 It's worth spending, you know, 25 more dollars than what they would have already spent. And then adding that on top of it is just not feasible. What we do is we will, um, we offer bulk discounts. We, you know, have sales from time to time, but we never do free shipping. We just don't.
3: Coming up next time.
1: I think a great way to getting to know your customer is looking at your customer reviews those bad reviews sometimes are pointing out things that you can improve
0: what i was noticing is that people would click on my ad they'd see the product and they would come back to the ad and they would be furious you're ripping people off this is a lousy product i can't believe that you're doing this and you're just trying to take advantage of people's fears and steal their money like just so angry
4: I imagine once you're featured on national news, you get a few more haters.
3: <laughs> we do. When we first used to get them, I would cry. That's it for this episode of Making It Work. We have plenty more in store for this season, so if you want to be first in line for new episodes, make sure you subscribe. Share your thoughts on Making It Work by rating and commenting on your favorite podcast platform. And as always, you can get in touch with Tom, myself, and the team by sending an email to makingitwork@fedex.com. Thanks to our entrepreneurs, Myra Hernandez, Casey Kelly, Dahlia Rizik, and Kat Samargia. Making It Work is produced by Yolene Margri, written by Tom Scallon, and edited by Lars Blockenberg, With creative direction from Jeroen von Konigshoven. Music by Fresh Big Mouth, who created this song with actual sounds from the FedEx Superhub in Memphis, Tennessee. This show is delivered to you by FedEx and presented by Tom Scallon and me, Kelly Martin.